Good morning. See you guys. Um, hey, um, it's your first time here. I'm glad you guys can be here with us. My name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors. I usually do a bulk of the preaching. A little bit about Redemption Church. We are one church. We have multiple congregations. Uh, most of them are here in the, in the valley, and then we have one in Flagstaff and then one in Tucson. One of the phrases you'll hear if you're around redemption for some time is we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. So simply put, we believe on the cross and through the resurrection that Jesus was not only just saving souls, but promising to restore and renew all of creation. So it's our purpose to make disciples in response to the truth of that gospel. And so um, if you want to know more about who we are, ways in which you can get involved, best thing you can do is take the Connect card um, that's in the seat back in front of you. Fill out your name, your email address, any questions that you have, and uh, you can fill that out. And you can drop it off in the offering boxes, which are located in the back or at the Connect Desk. Um, before we jump in, just heads up, um, many of you know we support as a church, uh, a church plant in Lagos, Nigeria. And so uh, Femi, who's the per- pastor there, he's been out here. I was there two years ago, going back to Nigeria this Saturday so you can pray for my family. Be gone for a few days, or be gone for more than a few days, but um, I'll be gone to November. Uh, and so, anyways, some of you got that, some of you were just laughing because the person next to you were laughing. Um, so while I'm there, though, I'm going to take a quick trip to Wakanda, and so I'm going to get a chance to, uh, you know, experience. I, I promise to bring back some vibranium for all of us, and so we will, we will have <laughs> a good time. All right, so we're going to continue our series, and so if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. One of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own one, keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and knowledge of Jesus. If you have a Bible, but you forgot to bring it, go ahead and raise your hand and take one uh, to use today and so that you can have the Bible in your hand to follow along with us. So we started this series a few weeks ago, Love Walked Among Us. Um, the title is taken from a book um, that has the same name, and we're looking at the love of Jesus on display, primarily as we look through different stories of Jesus in the gospel. And what we're trying to do, as we said in this series, is less about our ability and aptitude, aptitude but more about our affections being rooted and centered on Jesus, less about our intellect and more about our worship and seeing him for who he is and how his love, when we receive it, transforms the way in which we love and we love others. And so the goal is to be able to slow down, be able to look at the life of Christ and look at the way he loves and how we can mimic, reflect, and imitate that love to the people around us. And so week one, we saw some things. One, we saw that when it comes to Jesus' love, it starts first with looking, that he would look and then there'd be compassion and he'd move. He had compassion on the woman who was a widow who lost her son, and in compassion for her and love, raised her son from the dead. We saw how he restored the blind man's sight, and not only just having compassion for his sight, but even spiritually. Last week, we heard about the woman who was a woman of the city known for particular ways that were inconsistent with the gospel, but yet she came worshiping Jesus, and Jesus was able to heal this woman and restore her back to her particular community. So we've been seeing Jesus' love on display primarily through acts of compassion. Today, this morning, we, we, we hear a story about him healing a man's hand. And what we've been saying is the story in itself is not so much about the miracles. It's what the miracles point to. And that is evidence of God's grace and his kingdom is present in Christ. And so today we see Jesus particularly talking about uh, emotion or acting in emotion. And emotion is anger. And so we get to talk today about Jesus getting angry. And some of you, that may be a weird concept to think about God or Jesus being angry because somehow in the Christian world, um, we don't think that anger is a good emotion when it's a really good emotion. And then some of you just heard, okay, did you just say when I'm angry, I'm like Jesus? No, sometimes (laughs) you're not necessarily like Jesus when you're angry sometimes. Sometimes you're a jerk. 
And so we're going to talk about that too. So let's, let's pray and, uh, <laughs> and we'll get going. Father, we thank you so much for the life of your son Jesus. We pray that he would be exalted and that the work of Christ and the ministry of the Spirit would be present with us. Father, that we'd be able to see the way in which Jesus expresses his love and compassion, but even in anger. Just to understand, Lord, what that looks like healthy and how to be whole in it. Lord, we pray that you would take this moment that we have to hear from your word and to worship with each other through song and the partaking of the bread and of the wine to remember your son Jesus, Lord, that you would take our affections and you would stir them and raise them higher for the things and the person of Christ than the things of this world. God, we pray that you would humble us with your grace and also be united in your spirit and to love in the ways that you love. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a, there's a few, like, as a kid, we learn, like, a lot of things. They teach us a lot of fundamental things that we'll need for the rest of our lives, how to tie your shoe, how to do math, so forth. One thing they don't teach us as kids is how to handle or deal with emotions, right? And at best, what you'll say is, oh, this kid needs to work on impulse control because he or she doesn't have impulse control, and they don't know how to handle their emotions, right? And then what happens is you see adults, and you go, oh, he needs to work on impulse control, <laughs> uh, and she needs to work on impulse control, and they can handle their emotions. Because usually what happens is we don't know what to do with our emotions at all, and especially, particularly, like, anger. And so we don't really know what to do. No one ever teaches us, and so we just kind of, like, let loose, which, by the way, not healthy, um, but we do. So a few years ago, some of you guys, many of you around, um, I lost my cousin. It was a really, really sad time, and I've never experienced I've been that, like, done well with death to begin with. But particularly this particular cousin, who was the closest, one of the closest people in my life to me, and just his sudden death and so forth, it was very, very difficult. And I didn't really know how to process it. And I was down in Tucson, teaching at Redemption Tucson, and we were there for the weekend, and I said, you know, we'll take the kids to the movie. And, um, and I began to, like, learn about how to deal with my emotions. And I learned it, first and foremost, from a young girl, 11-year-old girl. Her name is Riley. Riley's family was moving from a Midwestern suburban city to San Francisco. You can hear about her life in the movie Inside Out. And so, um, and if you've, if you've never, if you've never, I, this sounds familiar. Uh, so if you've, if you've never seen the movie Inside Out, it, it's, it's a movie about this young girl named Riley. And Riley's family moves from a Midwestern city to to San Francisco. And what's happening is in her head and her emotions, and it's all about these emotions, particularly five emotions, and how they guide her decisions and her actions and so forth. The movie, Pixar, I mean, they hit it out of the park. So I'm processing loss and grief and sadness and so forth. So I'm watching the movie. The movie's very sad. You're crying. And then I'm, like, crying as well and processing on, this is amazing, the people who wrote this into a kid's movie, and they know parents are going to come with kids, and they just kind of educate you on your emotions, like you have totally in your feelings, right? And so with that, there's anger. And anger's like character is red because that's what most people, the color that most people identify with when they think about anger, you're red hot. And, and, and anger in the movie is explosive and wild and says a bunch of like wild things, which is kind of like many of us when it comes to our anger. Um, and yet there's some controlled moments that anger is expressed. One of the things that anger does is anger shows Riley to have the courage to go out and play and compete on the hockey team. But you go, girl, right? And then, the, and then anger also um, shows Riley like what's fair, that she has this, this concern for what's fair and what's right. 
And that when you have, the emotions in themselves are not necessarily good or bad, they're emotions. It's how do we express and how do we use these emotions in healthy ways. And what we're going to see in the story today is that Jesus, as I said before, that he expresses emotion. And the emotion that he expresses out of love is that of anger. And yet what we'll see is Jesus' anger and the way he expresses it is massively different than the way that those of us who express anger here how we do. And our hope would be, by the Spirit and God's grace, that we'd be able to move closer to the ways in which Jesus expresses anger and love in the way that we do when we just kind of you know, fly off the handle for those of us who do that. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. All right, so here's the context. Um, Jesus is now in the synagogue again. And so if you're not familiar with the synagogue, um, God's people would worship at the temple. And they'd always go to the temple. Well, what happened is when, when the people of God began to be dispersed around different regions outside of Jerusalem, and in order to worship, everybody would have to travel to Jerusalem. And said what they did, they started building temples. So kind of, I mean, excuse me, synagogues. Synagogue would be the equivalent of us gathering together in this building to worship. And there's multiple synagogues. And they wouldn't have, like, a Bible. They wouldn't say, hey, if anybody doesn't have a scroll, raise your hand. And then one of the, like, they didn't, they didn't have that. Um, so they had a scroll that would just be there. And what would happen is somebody's job was to put the scroll out. They didn't know what the scripture was going to be. It was something from the law and then something from the prophets. And then someone would get up and they would read it and they would paraphrase it in Aramaic, which is the language that most of them spoke. And then they would have a rabbi would get up and then he would preach a sermon. And so particularly this day, what we know about this particular story, because it's not only told here in Mark, it's also told in Luke, and it's also told in Matthew, and there's different things we can learn more context about the story, that Jesus is teaching this particular day. And I can only imagine the, 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 the person who's got the, the, the scrolls like, hey, you're going to teach today? Do you, do you know what you're doing? He's like, ah, yeah, just watch. All right, and so Jesus is teaching, and it says that this man walks in. Now, there's some, there are some characters. Like in every story, we'll say there's at least three different parties that are happening. There's one, there's, there's the man with the withered hand. There's the Pharisees, who have been in most of these stories. And then there's Jesus, who, by the way, is in all of them, right? And so we have those three people. So the man walks in, and everybody notices him. It says that the Pharisees notice him, not because of who he is. They see that he has a disability, and they don't, they're not moved towards his disability. They're not moved towards this man as a human being. They see him as an object, as a way to be able to accuse Jesus. And so this man walks into this room. We don't know anything about this man. My assumption is this man is used to coming. My assumption is this man is used to being stared at because of his disability. Now, many of us, maybe all of us, at some point, we know what it's like to be in a particular room or space where we feel everybody's eyes on us for one reason or another whether it be for a disability, or if you're a woman, you know what it's like when you're in the room with all men, or you're a person of color, you know what it's like to be in the room um, with people who are of the majority context, right? You know that experience. Um, a few years ago, I think I told you guys this, my wife, or years ago, probably 12 now, um, before we got married, my wife and I um, got engaged, and my mom's like, I'm going to throw you a luau in LA. And here's the thing, my mom don't know anything about a luau. <laughs> and... Um, and it's, it's like in South Central, which is, I'm going to invite my side of the family, invite your dad's side of the family, and we're going to do it. Now, there, there was nothing about this party that was a luau, right? There wasn't even a pineapple there, right? All barbecue. And so we, we get there, and we're having a good time. We're playing dominoes. We're playing spades. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild, right? And my wife didn't grow up like that. 
<laughs> they was probably paying. Never mind. They didn't, she didn't grow up like that. And so, so and there's probably, I don't know, like 100 people there, and we're getting it in and so forth. And she, I, didn't, I can't find Holly. I'm like, where'd Holly go? So I walk outside and uh, outside in the, like in the driveway and she's out there. And I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, I just realized like, I'm like, I'm, I'm the only white person in here. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, like, I've never been like, I said, hey, listen, you know, get used to it. It happens sometimes. Most of us are used to it, you know. And she was like, what, this experience is so different. Is this what you feel like? I'm like, yeah, Holly, come on, let's go back in here. You're good, right? And so we had this, like, moment. It was like she had this moment of, like, man, I feel like people are looking at me because I'm white. I'm like, they are. So let's, let's, uh, let's move forward. <laughs> right? And so you have, like, you have these experiences. And so when I was in school... Um, in college, I majored in education, and one of the things you, you need to do when you major in education is you take special ed classes, whether you're going to teach um, in that or not, and so you got to take like three or four classes. And one of the classes I had, um, one of the assignments our professor had us do was we had to limit something that we had, whether that you had to put an eye patch on, um, you had to do something that would give yourself a disability every day of the week, and then you had to journal every day about how people responded to you. And so I did, I did an eye patch. Um, the one that was unique to me was I, I did, um, I taped my hands. And so I didn't, couldn't use my hands for a whole day. And just even things of getting on the elevator and trying to press a button with, and just, and watching people react. And what people usually react is, not that people were mean, but they would notice something's different and then kind of like look away. There was a sense where you knew they were looking at you and as soon as you'd make eye contact with them, they'd kind of just look away as if they, as if they weren't. I wonder if this man, and maybe like some of us in this room, knows what it's like every time to walk in a room for people to notice something is different than you, right? And in this particular case, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they could care less, and yet Jesus cares so much. So, so he walks in the room, and the Pharisees, the next group of people, they see an opportunity. And they see an opportunity not um, on behalf of this man, but in spite of this man, mainly because of his disability, to see what Jesus would do. To see if Jesus would actually heal this guy. To see if Jesus would actually move towards this particular person. To see that if he would do sort of the things that he had been doing up until this, this moment. And since it was happening on a Sabbath, that was the issue. And they, they knew. Like, they knew. Like, okay, this guy just walking. Hey, this guy, this guy has a dis he's got a disability. Watch. Jesus is going to heal him. Like, what does that say about Jesus? Like, they know, like, oh, watch Jesus. He's going he's gonna to love this guy again. We're going to get him. Right? There, there, there's a sense. Like, he knows that Jesus is going to be able to do that. And the issue was the Sabbath. Now here, many of us don't understand the Sabbath, and we do need to take some time to really talk about the Sabbath at some point, but the Sabbath was a law that God had given them, that they were supposed to observe the Sabbath. God himself created in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And you see that God gave, gave his people instructions to Sabbath, and not to do certain things on the Sabbath. In fact, the Sabbath in itself was a holy special day. Well, the Pharisees, as I've said before, they took God's law and they put extras on God's law. They were always putting extras on extras, 20 on 10, et cetera, et cetera. So they would have the law and they would add things like you can only take this many steps, you can only do these things. God never said those things. And so when it came to the Sabbath, Jesus had kept healing people on the Sabbath and they wanted to stop that. And so Jesus is there on the Sabbath and they're waiting to see if he's going to heal this man. Verse 4, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill. Now, here's what's happening here. If you go and read this story in uh, Luke chapter 6 or Matthew chapter 12, what you see is Jesus is doing something that was very custom for a rabbi. 
And in order to teach a lesson, he would give a story from the lesser to the greater. And so he doesn't give the story here. Mark doesn't record it. But if you read it in the other um, accounts, what you see is he tells them a story. He says, listen, suppose a man has a sheep. And on the Sabbath, the sheep falls into a pit, which, like, that's never happened for most of us because we don't have a lot of pits around. But, like, back then, there were, like, pits everywhere, right? And so he said, suppose, <laughs> suppose your sheep falls into a pit. Now, would you save the life of your sheep? And, the, you know, the answer is like, well, yeah, duh. And he goes, okay, how much more value, valuable is a human? Now, what Jesus is trying to teach them is, just in this lesson, is like, like it's a no-brainer that human lives are more valuable than animals. Let me say this again for some of you. Um, <laughs> that human lives are more valuable than animals, right? And so Jesus is like making the sense of going, yes, of course you would. And what he does is he traps them. He traps them. It reminds me of playing tic-tac-toe with my kids. I used to play tic-tac-toe a lot. But now that, you know, now I'm playing again, I'm not as good as I used to be. And so my oldest son has learned, you know, how you can, um, you know how you can get people stuck where it's like, well, you go here, I can go here. And if you go there, I'm going to go there. So either way, you lose, right? And my son loves when he gets me in that position where he knows he's already won. And he's just waiting on me to put my circle or my X there like, oh, go ahead. And does that look like trapped you, right? So they think we got Jesus. We got him. We got him. And Jesus does what only Jesus does. Every time something's on Jesus, Jesus always turns it on everybody else. Oh, you try to trap me? <laughs> Watch me trap you. He's the king of trap. So here's what you have. you have. You have Jesus going, if you choose to say that the life of the sheep is more important than a human, people will look at you sideways. Likewise, if you choose to say, Jesus, you're okay to heal on the Sabbath, you will look at yourself sideways. So they're stuck, and they don't give an answer. And Jesus is trying to teach them that the whole point of the Sabbath was not just rest, and it wasn't even just creation, but it was salvation. That when you read in Deuteronomy, particularly in chapter 5, um, verses 5 through 12, what you see is when God also initiates again the Sabbath, he says, make sure you observe the Sabbath. And he goes, because you once were slaves in Egypt, and I delivered you. Meaning, when you Sabbath, remember that I am a Savior. That God delivers, that he heals, that he restores. Like that is what God is up to in the world. And now we see God in the flesh in Christ, and he's still up to that in the world. So on the Sabbath, he's not just teaching, but if there's an opportunity to heal, he's going to heal. And yet the Pharisees, they don't get it. And they're actually upset again. So here's what he says here. Continuing in verse 4, he says, but they were silent. They didn't answer. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. And so, um, if you remember earlier, the man that was there, he walks in, and it says that Jesus calls him. He says, come here. Um, that's that same, like, resurrection life, like, word that he used, come forth. So Jesus, come here. Or excuse me. Man, come here. He calls him up in front of everybody. I don't think he's calling up to go, look at this man, look at his disability. I think he's there to go, he's, he's, he's going to look at him, and he wants people to see him for who he is. If you've been tracking with us in a series, that's just the progression of love with Christ, and ought to be with us. That it starts first with being able to notice, and being able to look. Right? People love to be noticed. And that's a very satisfying thing when somebody notices something about you. Right? 
it may be embarrassing sometimes because we don't know how to be vulnerable when someone's like, hey, I noticed that about you. I noticed you do this. I noticed you're good at that. I know, like, it might be embarrassing, but you know, like, it feels good to notice that people notice you, right? We said this before. I said all the time. We would never tell a child um, when they're trying to get attention and, like, in simple, innocent ways, like, look at my dress, look at my shoes. We never say, stop being selfish. You're only thinking about yourself. Like, we would never say that to a child. We would go, yeah, we notice your shoes. Yeah, we notice your dress and so forth. So Jesus brings this man forth that we may notice him. He looks, and we said this before, looking, and then what happens there, the emotion is compassion, and then compassion leads to particular actions. Now, here's what we need to understand. Um, week one, we talked about this. When it comes to compassion, sometimes we get compassion and sympathy and empathy, we get them all mixed up. And so, in short, to kind of recap, what we said is sympathy is I see your pain. Like, I notice that you're in pain. Like, I see, I notice it. Empathy takes a little further. I feel your pain. Like, I feel you. And then compassion takes it even further. It's not only do I see your pain, not only do I feel your pain, but compassion says, I'm actually going to put on your shoes and step in it with you and have the ability, the desire to relieve the particular pain that you're in. Let me say, compassion goes far, like way further than that. But then there's something else that compassion opens up that we haven't dealt with yet. And that is anger. That if you are going to open yourself up to compassion, that means you're also going to have to open up your heart to anger. Because compassion has at its heart of it the ability to love. And when you love something, when you love something, and something is a threat to that, that particular thing or that particular person or that particular cause, you rise up. And you rise up particularly because you love that person. Right? Um, Jesus is not afraid of a fight. So I grew up, I had a mom and a dad, and my dad and my mom couldn't have been more opposites. Like, you know, you have the angel and then you have like the little devil. I'm not going to say one was one and one was the other. Um, but my dad like taught us how to fight. I mean, literally how to fight. Like you got to fight, you got to fight. Like start fights, in fights, be in fights. Like that's just the way it was. My mom, on the other hand, was like, no, 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 no. But she was, she was old school. She's Southern, so she was old school. She says, you better never start a fight, but if you're in a fight, go ahead and finish it. <laughs> right? And, and I, I say that because as believers in Christ, so live us in the room of Christians, like, we have to be better fighters. And I'm not talking, like, fist fight. I mean, we have to be able to, be, to fight. There is a thought within Christian circles that passivity is godly. And yet you don't even see that integrated. So one of some of the single ladies were like, yeah, uh, say that again. Um, so, so, like, being passive is not, we don't see that in the person of Christ. We don't see that in the character of God. And that somehow if you're just a really nice person, then, then that's what we want. And it's like, no, you, like, you should be kind, you should be nice, all of those things. But anger, when it's true, is an expression of love. Because you, because you love something, because you desire something, and something's going on wrong there. And Jesus is okay with it. Jesus is okay with confrontation. Jesus is okay with conflict. His followers aren't. And that's weird. That we are the type of people that if somebody wrongs us or offends us, we would rather go tell 13 other people instead of just going straight to that person. Right? Or we'll, we'll, we'll over-spiritualize. We're just letting love cover a multitude of sins. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're avoiding. You're avoiding. So, so Jesus confronts them by healing this man. He confronts their unbelief, he confronts their lack of love, he confronts their injustice by healing this man. And so he goes beyond compassion to that anger that's expressed. It's a different movement where we said looking leads to compassion that leads to action. And there's a secondary movement that says looking leads to anger that leads to honesty. 
And honesty is telling somebody the truth about themselves in a wildly loving way. So let me pause for a second, because there's some of you guys in here who are like, yes, I, I feel you, Pastor. Like, I'm always angry, and I've been telling people, I'm like Jesus. No, you're not. You're not. I mean, let's just be honest. You're probably not. Like, there are expressions of anger, which most of us do, that look nothing like the God in whom we serve. Right? I, I, I am the most guilty. There are moments where I can even try to justify my anger, and it's not justified. Or not even my anger. Justify my response to my anger, and it's not. Right? So I have two kids. And kids, they, they yeah, right? And so there are moments where my kids will do the thing I tell them not to do and not do the thing I've told them over and over and over and over and over again to do. They won't do it. And there's moments where I will lose my stuff, right? And, and, and lose it on them, like in ways that, I mean, I, I mean it's, not, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's never pretty. Um, all right. Am I justified? Some of you are like, I mean, what what they do? There, there is a difference between reacting and responding. And when we react, nine out of ten times, it's usually probably sinful. If we can step back, be a little bit thoughtful, and respond, even when it comes to the discipline of our children, it will probably be something that looks more like the ways of Christ than the ways of your own sinful heart. So in those moments, I have to get on my knee, look my sons in the eyes, and tell them I actually failed. And I can't say, but you know you wasn't supposed to be doing such and such. No, 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 like that is on me because that is not the expression that we see in the person and the ways of Jesus Christ. And so you, you, you have Jesus is willing and totally okay with being able to, to fight. And so when he looks around, he looks around, listen, listen to this, verse 5 again, read this with me. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved. Now, you can't tell this because of the way that it's written in English, but it's actually backwards here. So it looks like the anger led to grieving when really it's the grieving that actually led to the anger. That, that word for grief, meaning there was pain and a deep distress. Like he's, he feels pain and, he's, and then it leads to anger. And the pain that he has, believe it or not, is not because the man has a withered hand, right? That's not the pain that he's feeling. The pain that he's feeling, it says, is because the hardness of hearts of the Pharisees. That everything in which they're looking for in the Sabbath, that everything in which they're looking for in the law, everything they're looking for in the temple is right before them in the person of Christ, and they can't even see it. That if they did, they would actually be applauding and they would move towards worship as Jesus is healing in this man, but he can't. And then Jesus is angry in this moment. There's another story in the Gospels of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. And if you go back and you read that particular story in the Gospel of Matthew, what you see is that Jesus gets there and he weeps and so forth. And he's about to raise his friend and it says he moves to the tomb with anger. And that language literally means bellowing with rage. And he's moving towards the tomb. And the only time it's used in the scripture is it's used to describe a wild animal. So like Jesus is raging in anger towards the tomb. And you go, he can't be mad at Lazarus for dying. And he can't be mad at Mary and Martha for crying. He's mad at the very thing that causes these sort of things, and he's mad at sin, and he's mad at death. So when he's in this moment now, and he's looking at the Pharisees, his anger towards them is not to push them away, but actually draw near to them. And this is where we fail to see things. When it comes to our particular anger, somebody who does something that we believe is wrong, we don't move towards them, we move away from them. Thus, our anger does not look like the one who died and bled and was raised from the dead for us. 
You see, we look at it and we said this, um, say it like this. In fact, Paul Miller, the writer of the book, he says it this way. When we see someone suffering, we ought to be moved to compassion. Then he says this. When we see somebody make another suffer, we ought to be moved to anger. That when we see injustice and we see things done wrong, we ought to move to it. But here's what happens. Because some of you guys are like, yes, let's, let's go down the injustice route. So I'm like, let's do it. Here's the thing. Many of us, when we see that another does something like that, we don't move towards them in loving, honest ways, even in our anger. It's somehow we believe that somehow if you are mad at somebody, if you're angry at somebody, you can't simultaneously love them. Like just, that, that, that just can't be. And if you're on the different side of the fence as me, then there's gonna be, we're going to be separated even more. If you're on the different side of the political spectrum than me, then we're going to be separated. If you voted for this person or you did not vote for this person, we're over here. I can't trust you. I can't be in the room with you. Okay, that's fine. You're not looking like Jesus. I'm just saying, you're, you're not looking like Jesus. Because the type of love that is expresses itself in anger is not a hashtag love. It's a love that actually will die for enemies. Right? And unless I'm reading a different Bible than you guys, but I know the ones we handed out, right? And so this, this, this type of love is not something we, found, we find in the world. It's only find, found in the scriptures primarily through the person and work of Jesus. And he's not calling us to find people when we have allies with. He's calling us like him to die for enemies. Jesus' point is not to push out the Pharisees. His point in confronting them is to bring them closer, they may actually see the true life and love that God has for them. So we have to just at least confess that when it comes to our anger, it does not look like this. We have to ask for the Spirit to do something in us that is fresh and new, that we may be able to express love through anger and then care for injustice in the ways that Jesus did. Amen? So let's, let's, let's go a little bit more into this anger of Christ. And so what we see is in a few ways. The first thing about his anger that we see is it's, um, it's inspired, it's moved by others. Like, they go at Jesus, he didn't even trip. Like, he's like, Jesus, you're there. He's like, I don't even care. You go after somebody else that Jesus cares about, all of a sudden, that's when his anger comes, right? You see this in parents all the time, especially in moms. Like, you can have a sweet, calm mom. Let somebody do something to her baby. And all of a sudden, you're, you're like, what? That's a Tasmanian devil. That's a mom who loves her child, Right? That it's, it's another, that you look at the needs of others. The second thing that you see with Jesus is he's calm. Right? We love to tell the story of Jesus' anger when he's flipping over tables. Okay, Jesus is like, all right, guys, that happened once. Um, all the times, there is a sense of going, he could be ang- angry without yelling and being explosive and disruptive and so forth. Um, and yet, being able to communicate. We see either the explosion of anger or the person who's anger who says nothing. But no, he actually moves and confronts and so forth. And lastly, his anger is actually put to work. I mean, in this case, he heals this man. That when we have anger at injustice or something that's done wrong, it's not good enough to just talk about it. It's not good enough to read books about it. It's not even good enough to get around with people and say, this needs to happen, this needs to stop. Like, if it's expressed in the ways of Christ, that means you actually have to get in and do something. That you have to have skin in the game. That you've got to get in the messiness of it that you have to put on somebody else's shoes to be able to walk in it. And it's never a quick fix, right? Jesus, the quick fix here we see is the, the man who got healed. Like, honestly, the person who came up in this story was the man with the withered hand. I mean, I'd love to hear a side of the story. I was just going to church one day, 
And I walked in, and these Pharisees were there, and they were trying to get at Jesus, and it was like some crips and bloods going on. And then Jesus brought me up, and he healed my hand, and doing so, he did me a solid, right? And so his, his, his life's been good. It's Jesus is actually, in healing him, like I said, he's confronting their unbelief, their hardness of hearts, and so forth. But he's doing so in a way not just so they can know that they're wrong and he's right. You know, that's never Jesus' agenda. How many, how oftentimes when it comes to certain things, especially in our battles that we have, let me, let me, let me just say this. I'm going to go somewhere real quick. When we went through our election here, people would like to say it was divisive. Um, people were divisive. I don't care who you voted for or if you voted or not. Um, we became divisive. We, we actually drew lines. And dare I say, we built walls. And we did it with people who were not like us, um, people who we thought were with us but they're not for us. The goal was never for people to be with you or for you. The goal for us was to be people who follow Jesus and thus pick up our own cross and following him, lay down our lives for those around us who are not like us. Somehow we forgot the gospel and all of it. The very thing that actually unifies, the very power that energizes, the very power of the God that actually can break down particular barriers. And we couldn't do it because really, really we didn't understand how to love. Bottom line, to be able to see Jesus and follow him in that way, even when you were very upset, very ticked off, very angry at somebody, and still look at that person in the eye and say, I love you, and address it, even if they don't agree with you, even if they say, I don't love you. That absolutely is the life that Jesus has called us to. Either we say, I'm getting off the bus of Christianity, or I need to actually move, move closer to the front, or the way the kingdom works, I actually need to probably move closer to the back. And so, so we, we, we have this sort of love that Jesus is talking about is the type of love that we have to be able to reciprocate. Because Jesus' enemy was not the Pharisees. In this case, he doesn't go after the Pharisees because the Pharisees didn't create destruction in this world. He was angry at their hearts, and he was angry at our hearts, where they saw a man with a withered hand, and then Jesus saw a group of people with withered hearts. Where they saw an opportunity to accuse Jesus, Jesus saw an opportunity to be able to heal this man and thus call them to repentance as well. That when Jesus goes after anything and a movement of anger and rage, he goes after the very thing that broke this world. He doesn't go after the Pharisees, he goes that which has contaminated the Pharisees. He doesn't go after us, he goes that which contaminated us, and that is sin. And we see the greatest act of display of Jesus' love being expressed in compassionate anger when he moves towards the cross to defeat the very thing that, destroy, that tried to destroy this world, sin, Satan, and death. And defeating it on the cross with the power of the resurrection, Jesus expresses the greatest love that has ever happened in the universe. That he would allow the suffering, or excuse me, he would allow the penalty of our sin and the wrath of God to come upon him, that it may never come upon us. And that he in his resurrected life, that the spirit that raised him will now be with us, so that we can go and do likewise in the name and the purposes and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we have to step back and go, yeah, it's okay to be angry. It's actually a gift that God gives us, a part of the other range of emotions we have. It's not okay to use our anger to justify us being sinful. But those who are justified by the blood and life and the death and the resurrection of Christ may now use that same justification to be able to lay down their life for another. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life and love that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that we are fully and completely and wholly loved in Christ. By no means does that justify our sin, does that justify 
the things in which we do that sin against you and others, the injustice that we participate in, either directly or indirectly, that it does not excuse us, but we thank you for the blood of Christ that forgives us. We pray that we would receive the love that you have by faith and in turn imitate, mimic, reciprocate that love to the people around us, to the people who are like us and not like us, to those who are far and those who are near, that we would be able to just continue it in this series to see Jesus on display and adore him and worship him. And by your spirit, Lord, that you would create and fill those cavities in our hearts that are longing for the love of God. And may we be able to lay down our life, our pride, our preferences for the sake of another, that we and the other may find healing in Jesus. God, we thank you for the work of your son Jesus in our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We get an opportunity to respond to God's word and whatever the Spirit is doing in your life. And so I want to give you a moment right now to just sit and listen to the Spirit and respond to the Spirit. He's, he's moving and he's speaking. Um, in just a moment, one of the guys will come lead us in the response. But if you can, just listen to whatever it is the Spirit is moving and speaking to you.